0: Welcome to the Draft Deeper Podcast. This is your host, Nathan Grubel. Joining me as always is my producer, Kevin Black. I keep saying December has been my favorite month of doing this podcast for a great reason. The guests that I've had on this show, if you've missed any of the previous podcasts, please go back and listen to them because they were truly fantastic. But I had Chad Ford on in the middle of the month. Then I had Seth Parnow on to talk about his new book, The Midrange Theory, and we're wrapping up December with, honestly, one of my favorite people that I've truly enjoyed listening to this year, specifically talk about the draft. He does episodes of the Game Theory podcast with Sam Fasini, specifically covering the draft. Mr. Matt Penny. Matt, how are you doing?
1: I'm great. That was a a wonderful intro, and it's a huge step down from Chad Ford and Seth Parker, <laughs> who are literary magnets, and I'm just some dummy who tweets out stuff, and people say I'm right or I'm wrong. But uh, nonetheless, I'm I'm happy to be here. You guys do awesome stuff, awesome work. Uh, one of the uh, accounts and 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 people and groups and collections where. I feel like when I wake up the next morning, you've already beat everybody to the punch. There's already a video. There's already a take. There's already a, a grouping, a graphic. And that's motivation to me to, to actually go out and watch more film too. So I'm, uh, I'm a fan of your guys' work. So I'm, I'm I'm happy to join you here on the show.
0: Matt, Matt's referring to the, the No Ceilings team, which if you haven't subscribed yet to the No Ceilings Substack, please definitely go do so. No com. You can find links on all of our social media channels. Yeah, Matt, sometimes it's crazy. I will I will be f- fully started into my work day and we'll be sharing like three or four or five different pieces on like one day that I didn't even know were going out. So I'm trying to like share all this content and I'm just like, yeah, I give up. I, I can't do it. Like I, I got to hammer this thing out for, for work and I'll, I'll come well, back to this later. you guys are
1: wagon too. There's also a, a graphics department or, or one of you guys is really good at that, that there's always kind of good WWF, WWE inspired takes and, and roy will i don't know you're, you're really good you're so a, Corey
0: cory taliba is is the head of our graphics department he does incredible work tyler rucker backcourt violation is our meme king he posts gifs to essentially every possible thing you could respond to on social <laughs> media good. to keep, keep it light keep it friendly so <laughs> we we do have a full team and, and i appreciate anyone who has taken the time to shout out or enjoy some of our work that truly means everything to me so thank you matt for making some of those kind comments in return so before we get too deep into some of the draft content that we do matt why don't you give my audience a, a little mini backstory as to your place in evaluation and how you've found yourself in in, in the scouting world with basketball over the basketball whole?
1: kind of by accident which i think kind of happens for a lot of people i i was yep. uh If you start start and turn the clock way back, I I played in high school, I was injured my senior year, so I ended up going to UMass, I I majored in the sport management program, I was a manager for a year, then ended up walking on, I played three seasons. After that, I I went and coached in prep school, and and when I was at prep school, I I just developed a lot of relationships with college coaches and assistant coaches who would kind of ask for my take on players, and if you're at events, who do you like, who do you see, like how does this fit for what we're doing, And from Northfield Mount Hermon, when I was a prep school coach, I then graduated on to work for Reebok in in their grassroots events and and now Under Armour for the last five years. So because of that, I've been in the gym a lot. And and when you build these kind of trusted sources and and allies in in the space, it, it just kind of developed out of that into I had more NBA teams reaching out. I had more people reaching out for kind of consulting stuff. I was always a fan of the draft growing up. And sort of like with the college coach thing, I just formalized what I was doing anyway uh, to kind of put there out some forward-facing stuff. And then to get locked on to the Game Theory podcast was was also an accident. It was, man, the pandemic's never going to end. But I, I think it was like two years ago, I was I was furloughed. I was home for five months with my son. And I had a mutual friend with Sam who just said, hey, you guys should connect and and maybe like, you know, just talk about, some consulting stuff you can do, some side spinoffs, some businesses. And we started talking about the UAA, and that's the Under Armour Association on the, on the grassroots circuit. And Sam was just picking my brain about we had Anthony Edwards, we had Precious Achuo, we had Josh Green, Nico Mannion from that draft class. We talked for like an hour, and we're, he's about to hang up. He's like, hey, we should do a podcast next week. So I hang up and I'm like, I, I don't even really listen to podcasts. Like, I, I don't know what I'm talking about. I don't know what I'm doing. Like, if you want to, if this is like a dead time for you. Like, you had a guest who couldn't do it. Sure. he you know, did one, recorded it, and said, hey, that was great. Let's do another. And I think he had somebody go and get an NBA scouting job. And I've just continued to be on. And he can't uh, He can't shake me. So long-winded way of saying that. I was just kind of always in the gym and, and taking notes and working events, and it just escalated into where I'm at now, doing more draft stuff, and once in a while, people uh, people listen. So I, I've i been fortunate. It's hard, and, and people always say, like, well, how, how do you make this a full-time thing? I don't know. I mean, like you guys, I, I have a real job. I'm still trying to figure out and navigate that space. Uh, a lot of fun in, in the process.
0: Well, Matt, that was – an exciting backstory and a big reason why. <laughs> no, it's a big yeah. reason why I wanted to have you on this podcast because I reached out and one of the topics specifically I wanted to discuss with you. And, and we have a, a handful of players that we're going to talk about here were guys who started out, I would say, fairly high on the majority of consensus preseason big boards. And a lot of them have slid in in, in the space of popular opinion. For Some of them have slid just slightly, and a few of them have slid in a major way. And part of doing that evaluation and kind of grasping the full context as to where we're going is also understanding the grassroots aspect of where these guys came from and looking back at a preseason ranking, generally a lot of that information factored into your evaluation before you started to see a lot of the college work. So that that's that's very important. To be able to lean back on and understand, and that's why I I can't wait to hear some of the thoughts that you have on these prospects. I also, not, not only did I listen to you on the Game Theory podcast, of course, Matt, but I also heard you do a guest spot on a mutual friend of the program. Chuck with chucking darts. Yeah, darts. Yeah, th- thank god, you guys. I mean, every time I do a podcast with Chuck, we're going for like two hours plus, like lock it in, <laughs> like it's just going to be a long form essay. You guys kept it to an hour, so well, good, good it, on it, your it, part. It was,
1: an, it was an hour almost by accident. I told him <laughs> it was like eight at night. I said, Look, I got like eight to ten. It, um, I'm only allowed to burn the midnight oils and, and do this kind of like I don't say pet project, but this is like the passion thing for me. This is like my uh playing Fortnite. This is like my you know, going out and playing golf. I don't do that. I don't. I'm not trying to steal John Rothstein's line here, but I don't have hobbies. I, I I just talk about the NBA draft. So when we were recording, it, it actually his his uh, his feed kept like twitching out a little bit. So we had to restart like five times. That could have been two or three hours because we still had many prospects to talk about, which I'm I'm sure we'll get to. Uh, but but he's just another good guy in the space that like you guys put in the work and and you tell he actually watches the tape and the film and and has real opinions based on that stuff and not just looking at box scores and and highlights. Oh, Chuck
0: is Chuck is an excellent friend of the program. He will, I I was on his show at the beginning of the year. I think he's going to be coming on mine within the next few weeks. So I can't, I can't wait for more long form conversation with Chuck. He has opinions on guys. I, I sometimes I just can't get to where he's at. And so it's always nice rehashing some of that and, and revisiting some of those guys with him and kind of getting his opinion. Maybe maybe he offers up a take or or points me in a different direction that I didn't even think about or, or didn't dive deep enough yeah, yeah. around the rabbit hole. So it's it's really nice to have that conversation. But let's start. Let's start with the guy who's probably generated the most buzz over the last few weeks in particular, and that would be AJ Griffin. Now yes. AJ Griffin came into the draft cycle already with concerns. He was essentially injured and really didn't partake in much full basketball activity for like a year and a half. So it was already a rocky start coming in. And then you hear some of the rumblings about why he's not playing a ton of minutes at Duke, why he's not coming in and contributing, when in all likelihood, if you're just going back and evaluating AJ Griffin on the high school stuff and and you take that into account, you're coming into the year, at least I did, saying, Raw talent, he's probably like a top five raw talent in the draft class. But you just hear some of the things and you see that he's not getting in the minutes. He's not able to produce and show what he can do on the court. And that leads a lot of people to slide him down draft boards pretty rapidly. And normally I'm not one to completely overreact to everything that's going on. But I also moved him down my board, I believe, in the first iteration of my big board, I had him at 21. And that seemed to be lining up with a lot of consensus. So we have certain segments, Matt, that we're going to break these guys down through certain lenses to look through. But let's just start with the very simple, where were you on A.J. Griffin preseason and where are you at with him now?
1: Uh, I had him in the lottery, the preseason, I think somewhere in that 8 to 10 range. And for all these guys and and kind of the, the grassroots spin that I have on this, They're all data points, and and I don't think one is be-all, end-all, and there's another guy we're talking about a little bit, and I'll kind of tell you what I mean by that. But, like, this is a a chapter in the story. It's it's not the whole book. You can't just pick up and read chapter six and be like, this book stinks, you throw it out. you got to read before. you got to read after. There's a lot of development stuff here. With AJ, he did have his obstacles in high school, like you alluded to with his injuries. He dislocated his knee in January of his junior year, and he missed the rest of the season. The following year, coronavirus hits, and New York High School, and he goes to Archbishop Stepanak or attended there. They don't have a season until the spring. He opted out for a different injury for his ankle, and at the time, he's training with his dad, Adrian Griffin, who's an assistant coach for the Raptors in Tampa, because in in Canada they had the the bordering travel thing, we couldn't go back and forth. So he's down there working out, and. You can tell, because without those injuries, I, I really like his frame at, at 6'6", 220 mm-hmm. pounds. It's a good blend of power and finesse. He showed he has the takeover ability when he was healthy. And then on the court, when he wanted to be a takeover guy, like he he has it. But It's not all the time, but he has it when he needs to be. I never yeah. question his skill set. And then when he gets to Duke, and, and we talked about the, the preseason hubbub, and playing next to Apollo, and Trevor Keels, and all these other guys coming back, and Wendell Moore, and Mark Williams gets injured again. So he missed his time in the preseason, and you can tell that the Duke staff is working back in slowly, but it's really slowly. Is it a trust thing? Is it an effort thing? I don't know. I'm I'm not in that locker room. But he doesn't play 20 minutes until the fifth game of the year, which they beat Lafayette by 30, and he goes nuts in garbage time. He has the last four minutes. He shot seven for 10 for the field, four for six from three. Mm-hmm. Then he has this run of three games where he plays 11 minutes, six minutes, two minutes versus Ohio State. his combined two points. And now we're on this newer run against South Carolina State, App State, Elon, and Virginia Tech. It's 20 minutes a night, 19 points, 11 points, had five, had 13. And there's more of that A.J. Griffin that old scouts and definitely draft Twitter fell for. So I I don't know where we go from here. I don't want to get too crazy. I'm not somebody who says I'm sticking to my guns. I have them third overall. I kind of have them in the 20 range right now but have to see what it looks like in ACC play, have to see what it looks like in the tournament, have to see if we build on what the minutes have been at this point, but definitely a confusing evaluation for where we're at
0: right now. So let's say that this trend, this recent trend continues. AJ Griffin is getting considerable playing time relative to what he was playing previously. He's on the kick where he's, he's, 20, 25 minutes per game, maybe he actually breaks into the starting lineup, which if, if he does break into that starting lineup, and you're talking about like Trevor Keels and A.J. Griffin and Paolo Bancara Mark Williams, like good good luck scoring on that Duke team when they're all locked in defensively. That's just so much size and athleticism on the court at once. But let's say some of these, some of these numbers hold up because when he does play, when he gets in those ranges of 19-plus minutes per night, Matt, he's producing it in a big way. And some of the numbers, I know that he doesn't have – the most diverse shot profile that we can talk about on Synergy, but essentially every play type where he's registering enough attempts to actually rank in a percentile, he's knocking every single thing out of the park. And you can obviously see that on the film. He's very comfortable getting spots, hitting mid-range pull-ups. He can finish around the basket. The three-point shot has been a little hit or miss, but when he's on, I mean, you talk about a heat check guy, like he is on. And then I think he started to find himself on the defensive end as well you see some of the potential he has there his footwork's gotten a lot better he's sticking with guys he's playing better angles and you just evaluate him brought like a 6'6 a 225 pound guard who just looks like he belongs and i specifically remember somebody sharing on twitter one of the shots he hit i think it was in his second to last game where he, he drove up and he went into kind of like a little post move and then he faded And he got so high up on that shot and he he knocked it down with what looked like such ease. But in reality, you you, you sit back and you watch that shot and you go, how many other guys in this draft class can realistically hit a shot like that? So that's what leaves me so intrigued. But even if he keeps up this level of play, all the injury history math that you outlined, are, are teams actually going to gamble like a top seven pick on him, even if the talent warrants taking him that high?
1: I don't know because some of that stuff will will definitely be dependent on the medical. He he could be fine. Like a lot of times, guys just have knickknack knack knacking injuries, but they're not gonna carry over forever. And sometimes you'll get guys in the draft where uh, a doctor, or medical staff, will red flag them, say, "No, we're we're not taking them." But another team may say, "Hey, our doctor said it's good enough, it's close enough. We like the talent." Up seven, maybe ambitious. We've seen crazier things. I, I don't think back in the is – is too nuts. It, it's just, he, it's different because frankly, what Wendell Moore is doing is what I thought AJ Green, I'm sorry, AJ Griffin would be doing and, and vice versa. And a lot of AJ's offense right now is off threes. Like you said, or cuts, he had that big dunk against Virginia yeah. tech and it, it pops. Cause it's like, Oh my God, like this guy's been on the bench and they have this, this is an embarrassment of of riches and resources for Duke because the the way his frame is and how physical he can be and, and rebound and, and start the offense, and I mean there's a compliment where when he catches the ball, it's it's sort of like a like a workout NBA move type of skill set. Like he catches it, it's a pump fake, it's one hard dribble, he extends, he pushes out in front of him, he doesn't try to do too much. The the shot I, I think is good enough. I mean, he has a really wide base, if you notice, but he's in like the mm-hmm. 97th percentile on all jumpers, he feels comfortable with it. I'm just a little bit leery on leaning on the synergy numbers for him right now, because a lot of his work has been done when they're up twenty five and it's over. Now Virginia yeah. Tech, different, right? But if you're beating up on, on Lafayette, you're beating up on South Carolina State. It's not only just like the level of competition; it's it. You're, you might even be playing like their second string guys, and Duke's kind of pulled off the dogs a little bit, and, and you can go nuts, and nobody really cares too much, and those synergy numbers hit. But I, I just want to wait a little bit longer to see. You're playing on the road at at North Carolina. You're you're playing bigger, longer athletic wings in, in 17 minutes a night. And if it translates there, sure. We we can talk about having him 14, 15. Uh, I don't know if, if he's like, I'm, I'm going to the draft at, at all costs. I'm, I'm also just, I don't know where to slot him right now. And with big boards, we're all guilty of it, right? Yep. But it's like, I don't, I get having a big board right now, but just so much is left to be played. If you're a freaky deaky and you're Chet, Jabari, Paolo, Jaden, Ivey, those guys, some top four, understood. I don't know what else we need to watch. We can, we can argue about who's one, two, three, four, or if you have somebody else, or for AJ, for Pat Baldwin, for Johnny Davis, for Keegan Murray. I still want to see what it looks like in conference play.
0: I I agree with you 100% wholeheartedly. We do need to see a larger sample size. If there were like one or two things specifically, Matt, to pick out about his game that you kind of want to see more of in a larger sample size to like, okay, this is definitely going to work. This is going to translate better to the NBA. This is going to pick him on my board. Like, What would one or two of those things be in your opinion?
1: It's consistency, and you, you can put that whatever, but just knowing when you're putting a guy out on the floor, what you're getting every night, whether that's 15 minutes, 25 minutes, 10 minutes, you don't know if you're going to get the A.J. Griffin superhero out there when, when he rises up and dunks. and I, I think the shot you're alluding to, too, is he jumps in the air, he squares himself up, it's a high release, it's hard to block. He gets out, he runs the wing wide, he can spot, can shoot, can pump fake, dribble, look, opposite defend active getting in in lanes but just is he going to be able to be that guy every single night for 15 to 20 minutes a night or are we going to revert back to the guy that had two points over the course of like three
0: games fair enough i think that's that's an absolutely fair place to leave AJ Griffin, he's going to be one of those guys to definitely monitor as the draft process goes on. I agree with you, Matt. Doing doing big boards this early is a, a, a stupid exercise, in my opinion. And I think I think Tyler Walker agrees with that as well. Like he's, we're like chatting in our private group, and he's like, "Why are you guys making me do a big board in December? Because well, we got to give the people what they want." Exactly. It's not, it's not, exactly. not for my we're, health, we're,
1: but we're crowd pleasers. They want to see. They want to see <laughs> it, it Pope Coles immediately because there's a large contingent that will yell at you if you have adrian griffin not in the top five and then probably an equal one if you do you, you can't win um I, I talked about this with uh someone who does rankings for for team stuff for high school team stuff and they said it's just creating interactions and and controversy more than anything it, it's fun you put it out there and as soon as you post a poll somebody's going to complain about why, why is purdue third why why is north carolina still ranked why is gonzaga second it it creates more uh more drama and buzz for people to tune into whether it's your program your twitter feed your your website so there, there's still benefits for it despite us catching a lot of bow and arrows for it
0: that being said though i mean before we, we we move into the next guy here this draft class i don't know if it feels the same way for you matt it just feels so much more open than oh, it yeah. has in previous no years like i got i got 11 guys that i'm down to Um, And A.J. Griffin would actually be one of those guys, whether that's a hot take or not, guys that I'm confident, like by the end of the year, this is going to be a good section of my lottery. This is how my lottery is essentially going to form up. But like everything like 12 and on, I'm just like constantly going back and forth and back and forth every single night trying to look this over. And even like trying to grade guys out from a tier perspective, I'm still going back and forth between some of those middling tiers. It just seems so wide open. I'm assuming you feel the same way.
1: Maybe that's the way I have to do it. I have to tear it out a little bit better because just tied to, to one number, I'm having a hard time. I, I had a similar issue last year, the last draft, too. Just like, what do you kind of do? Seven to looking on my board now, 14. Then after that, like, I feel okay because you're, mm-hmm. you're, it's more, it's less of a guy you need to produce and win right now. You're in the lottery. Like, you, you really need, for the most part, then there's different circumstances. You need a contributor. Like, you need somebody to help you get over the hump. So it, it's splitting. Does that mean uh, an older guy like Abaji who has a, a great body and has turned it around is averaging 20 points per game? And then you look at the NBA and say, well, he's, Corey Kispert's pretty old and he's had a good game or two, but I don't know if he's necessarily the guy that's pushed Washington over where they need to be. Or do you go younger and say, hey, Jalen Duran's really young. He hasn't been great, but he has a chance if we're just a yeah. little bit patient. Maybe Memphis isn't showing him. So it, it's a lot of it, too, I... I feel is philosophical,
0: uh, even more so
1: franchise by franchise too. I'm trying to give myself
0: a little bit of a break. This is, this is going to be a big week for me in terms of deep diving film because I have so much time off from work like you and I talked about before we started the show. So this is really my week to, to dig in. I'm trying to, trying to give myself a little bit of a reprieve from watching a little more Memphis film. I've, I've obviously seen a few games when I was in person. <laughs> yes. I was in person for their, their, game, their game again in, in Brooklyn um against virginia tech that was oh boy man that, that, was, that, that was, was hard, hard to
1: going. watch yeah <laughs> I, I i had a few texts from scouts like i'm here and not i forget what was going on it Was champion? not cha- um the vegas game was going on at the same time right yep I had a few scouts being like why am i here and not there I'm like i don't know man you don't you don't work for me you, you tell me <laughs> i think those guys i think jalen and monty had a combined zero points at halftime like that was the graphic <sighs> like i and I, I was tuning into that rather than something else uh, young, these guys, a, a lot of them are very young. You don't know what you're going to get.
0: Absolutely. And and speaking of another young, quote-unquote, blue chipper that we can move into, the next guy that we had on our list to talk about would be Caleb Houston out of Michigan, who, if you would look about preseason rankings across the majority of major outlets, and by the way, if anyone in my audience or anyone listening because they want to hear Matt and, the, and not me, if you haven't seen... <laughs> If you have not seen Corey Tullipa's work on our No Ceiling Substack regarding the, the draft stock market price updates and the draft stock market rankings that he's doing, it is the most, I tell him all the time, the most unique piece of draft content that exists on the internet. And it's a resource where everybody can publish their big boards, but we don't always have the easiest way to go back and sort of look where everybody was at at different points throughout the year. Cory is going to be cataloging this um, as we go on throughout the year. I believe he's going to try to do monthly updates to this. So Caleb Houston's preseason stock price, so about an average of major boards like ESPN, Bleacher Report, Tankathon, um, Sports Illustrated, et cetera, his average price was 6.8. So he was coming in anywhere between six to seven on major boards. Now you see the slide coming in that he's averaging out about 16. So we're, we're talking out of a lottery. That's, that, that's a drastic fall.
1: So, yeah, but 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 semi warranted too, right? It's like yep. a lot a lot of stuff he had coming in. I also thought one and done kind of had him in that seven to ten range. I, I currently have him at eighteen. Uh, had the big rep coming out of Mountford Academy, and he played FIBA with the Canadian national team at at six foot nine. A, a pretty good feel. When I saw him in high school, he he was a, a great shooter. He was on an absolutely loaded team. He didn't have to do a ton. Or they hit him, he was a floor spacer and, and he stretched the floor. Yep. He's able to open up driving lanes for guys like Tariq Whitehead and, and other players that were around him. And then he plays for Canada this summer and he averaged 17 and six. He facilitated a lot, but he shot it poorly. He was 11 for 58 for 19%. It's a small sample and he did shoot 50% from three, 85% from the free throw line. So you give him a little bit of a, a hand wave, right? And you get the preseason. Yep. And it's a little bit like the reports I had from scouts and, and media people who were there who were at Ann Arbor said, I don't I don't know if he's really the sharpshooter. It's it's not as fluid, it's not as fast as we thought. And there were some questions about what the hype was all about. And the year starts, he's slow too. Uh he made some threes, but but that was about it. He he had the breakout slump buster game, I guess, against Tarleton State, where he had 14 points, he's four or seven from the field, had two rebounds. He was up to thirty-seven percent from three. Uh, The sixth game since the Tarleton State game, he shot 50% from three on almost four and a half attempts per game. So like you said, like, what do you do? I mean, more shots are falling. I, I still worry about the foot speed, the separation. Like, he'll he'll get one of those pinned down screens and still not even separate himself enough to prevent his shot being blocked or altered. Or when he, he comes off, he sort of goes, like, back to the action as opposed to, like, keeping going away from it. So even if he's shooting 40-plus percent from three. I'm worried yeah. still about that NBA translation. Uh, he's been driving the ball better. He's been better keeping his man on his hip than finishing high or like a short, quick, like head and shoulders fake to the rim. Then keeps going. Don't no bring an NBA player. I, I don't see the, the top five ascension come back as it could for a couple of these other guys, like maybe AJ. So I, I don't know. I mean, my, my last note is I watch him play that stretch four role or even the three at times. With Hunter Dickinson and, and Musa Diabate. And I also think that, man, Franz Wagner was, was really good. <laughs> he was really, <laughs> he was like really good. Underappreciated. Uh, people like, well, he just kind of cuts. He makes these quick little passes, this, that. It was so seamless. And, and Franz's transition to the NBA has also been seamless. That's a, another pod for another day. Uh, so I'm, I'm figuring out Caleb Houston, just like everybody else. He's still a 1st roundish pick. Just I don't know if it's necessarily the, the upside that we anticipated in the preseason.
0: So, I flip on the tape I, I I'm with you in terms of the jump shooting matt i am not concerned about the shot, the movement shooting i'm not, I'm not concerned about any of that, especially when he's wide open in the corner. He's one of those guys who you you always know you're going to be able to pass him the ball, and you have a reasonable to an upward level of confidence that he's going to knock down that shot i'm not not concerned about it my my issue with Caleb Houston is really what he does in terms of creating offense. Not necessarily just for others, because he has proven to be a good passer. That was one of the things that I think intrigued a lot of people watching the U-19s was what he was able to do from a passing perspective, even have pick and roll. That has translated so far, actually, at Michigan. He rates out in the 71st percentile in terms of pick and rolls, including passes. However, when he's asked to do anything else out of the pick and roll, the results are not pretty. And you can just tell he does not have that next level burst initially coming off the screen. And then when he gets too deep into the paint, I know you alluded to some of the things where he's actually gotten a little bit better finishing. But for me, I just don't see that that type of guy who I'm trusting to definitely finish everything around the basket after he's turning off that screen. And I also, he, he has not shown me an ability to create like a one-two dribble pull-up off the bounce and make something like that part of his arsenal as well. He's only attempted seven shots off the dribble and he's only hit two out of seven. of them. So it's not just uh he hasn't made them. It's also, he's not even looking I to do. really take them. Yeah. And he, he can't, he just can't create the separation. Like he's not, he's not that level of athlete. So I, I think those are some of the things that people were buying into when they rated him. So high preseason, and those were some of the things that maybe we were going to start to see at Michigan against better competition in a really good Big Ten conference. But we haven't even gotten to the major slate of the Big Ten schedule yet, and he's already struggling against some of the defenses he's faced. Now he's he's faced like like Seton Hall, for example. Kadari Richmond is one of the better perimeter defenders in the country, so that was definitely a test that, that I'm sure everybody had circled to watch on their calendar. But even in some of these other games where he hasn't faced primetime competition, he's kind of struggled to, to put it all together. And, and like I said, I buy the decision-making. I buy the, the open spot-up shooting or some of the things you can have him do off the move. But if you're having him look to create more inside the arc for himself, I'm just not buying it. And if, And if that's really where he's going to lack in his game, some of the defensive concerns set aside as well, why are we looking to necessarily take that player in the lottery? I think that's why
1: it's falling. That's a conversation a lot of NBA teams are, are currently having too. And I don't want to completely bash them either because
0: – I don't you know, either. <laughs> no, 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 no.
1: This this is a fair analysis. But my, mm-hmm. my follow-up to it is that there's enough guys in the NBA who have more – I'd like to politely call like nuanced games like Kyle Anderson where he's not blowing by anybody. He's not dunking over anybody better handle for sure. But like he gets by on his feel as opposed to, I have a really quick first step. I'm going to beat you. Then stop on a dime and pull up. Like he's never been that player. He's carved out a role. I don't know if you take that guy in the top five, but a lot of times the limitations we see, there's teams that say, Hey, I like there, there's enough clay for me to mold and and work with that. I'm at physical clay, not clay Thompson, just to be. very (laughs) (laughs) So like that, that type of, of mind frame mindset. And I'm, I'm, Constantly trying to evolve as just a casual evaluator of of why this guy worked in the NBA and, and this guy didn't, and sometimes it does boil down to what your developmental program is as as a yep. franchise. So th- do they get as a siren goes by <laughs> in the, the siren? That's not an emergency <laughs> for Caleb Houston. I did not call that yet. That was premature. Uh,
0: Give, so yeah. give it like two weeks. We might be ringing that siren.
1: <laughs> yeah. But. yeah, We'll we'll hit the. That's the actual panic button. That's going <laughs> behind me. It's not. It's not in my apartment. It's outside. Somebody's saying he's not that good. Twenty range. That, that that's where he's sitting right now. I mean the the stock. He had a good IPO and now it's uh, kind of tanking down a little bit.
0: So one of the areas that I haven't quite seen uh, Barrett on the numbers quite yet is. I really like his feel and his understanding of how and where and when to be in transition. And I think that can be a major asset to an NBA team and another selling point as to why he's such a valuable offensive player. If that truly comes around for him, um, you, you you put that in, again, with the movement shooting. If If he's not, though, if he's not this type of creator off the bounce that a lot of teams would like to project him as, I know where you said you have him on your board. Where do you think that player ultimately falls draft time if he doesn't make improvements in some of those areas and or he also doesn't show some defensive improvement as well because he's been he's been bad at times on, on, on that. And for as much as I want to praise him for some of the off-ball stuff that he showed very early on in the year where he was creating some deflections, forcing some turnovers, he's also been pretty bad in, in some individual coverages. And then you've seen – some of that leak out into into the off ball stuff as the years gone
1: on. Also, I want to give him a little bit of credit too, because the the Canadian thing during FIBA, he played like a legitimate big guardish type role and his assist numbers weren't weren't bad. So I I also don't want to say like there there's also times where guys just kind of play their role and that's what they're asked to do. And he's not going to try to become this this crazy self-creating uh Wing where Jawan Howard and the Michigan staff just might be like, hey, run run wide. We're gonna get you some open looks, some quick hitters, make some passes, throw some lobs at the rim for Musa or hit hit Hunter Dickinson, then cut off. And his role could be very different in the NBA. And well, a I'm glad would... I'm
0: glad you said role. Hang on, I gotta cut you off really quick because this actually this is the real question <laughs> that I wanted to ask you, and I was forgetting it. Oh, it, was, it was drawing a blank. Good. But so his role at Michigan. I'm glad that you used that word. It seems like he doesn't necessarily have a clean fit within the offense. And it's sort of like there, there's, there's a bunch of possessions you'll watch during the game where he kind of has to clean up the scraps and yes. give it all the concerns that we've laid out. Like, that is not his role. So like no. if, if they were using him in, in a better way to better match his skill set, if they were actually drawing up more sets to actually run him off of, of more screens or, or get some double screen actions going to, to get him better open, are we having a different conversation?
1: Could be, because maybe it's a, it's also a trust issue where Hunter Dickinson, he has his strengths, he has his weaknesses, but you know what you're getting for the most part on a Hunter Dickinson. So if you're going to hit him in the high post, you're going to hit him in the post. He's yeah. scoring at a, a pretty high clip. Yes, he can't move his feet, whatever. But like that's a, a known commodity, where Caleb Houston, if you're not shooting it well, now all of a sudden you have... The last six games, maybe there are more sets where I say, hey, let, let's get Caleb a, a quick one. Let's get a double screen. The next time Hunter slips, he'll hit him. He's got really good vision. It may evolve as the season does too. But for, for where he is currently, maybe he is just like a, a spot guy that runs wide. And I, I watch a, a lot of full games. And also I'll, I'll go back after the fact and, and watch Synergy because you do feel like you miss pieces. And if you just click on offensive possessions for a guy like him, Man, there there are stretches where it's like, wait a minute, this play is 17 minutes left, whatever, and then the the next offensive possession he has that that <laughs> lists as a stat is like nine minutes left. It's like, what happened those eight minutes in the middle? <laughs> Even if you're on the bench for four or five, and what what happened that four minute stretch where you didn't take a shot, you you didn't make a, a read off the dribble, you didn't miss a shot? It, it's having him leave more of an impact too. And and be able to have his role what it is now, and be able to show he he can do more. And he's not. I keep going back to the old draft. I'm I'm not saying Scotty Barnes because Florida State is very different. But Florida State's a, a program where guys kind of play 20 minutes a night, and they've become a factory of we'll build up the fundamentals, we'll build up everything you do well. But there could be stuff beyond the surface that you have, and and that's happened with Scotty Barnes. His jumper's better. We've seen yep. Caleb Houston. There there's been breadcrumbs of him of of being more of a, a facilitator, being more of a, a wing initiator than he's been able to show at Michigan. No shade at all for what they've done. I think Juwan Howard is incredible. I think Phil Martelli does a great job on the bench with him. They're gonna put him in positions to be successful. It's just it's more of a slower thing and not an immediacy that we may have anticipated in the preseason.
0: I, I agree wholeheartedly. He's another guy that it, maybe if we give him a little more seasoning, some things change up in Michigan. They find different ways to, to get him going. Maybe we are having a different conversation. Probably not the top six, top seven conversation that we might have once had in the, in the preseason. But maybe he creeps back up at least into the late lottery. Um, and, and, and that's kind of where he finds himself as we get closer to the draft. Now, here we get into two or three guys. I think the debate can be much more fascinating. Than, than, than those two, I kind of wanted to to ramp up the anticipation for my audience here a little bit. So, I I've waited to talk about Jaden Hardy again for a while on my podcast just Let's because I haven't, I haven't I haven't been excited. keeping up with the G League Ignite enough, and I also wanted to give a little bit of time to to let pass the the Scoot Henderson hype train. That I've seen on social media, everybody's like calling him, the, you know, like like Jesus walking on water over here. And I'm like, oh, like, <laughs> yeah. like, hang on, hold hold on, let, let, let's let that pass. I, I
1: tried I tried to slow it down, try to slow it down <laughs> with Sam a little bit. I said, hey man, he's got three really good games. I don't be prison prisoner of the moment here. And everyone's like, no, he's the best prospect we've ever seen. He is Michael Jordan and LeBron James. If they're, it's like, just come on. He's he's 17. He's played well. I really really like him. Top three pick. Let's 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 see more. Sorry to cut you off. But yeah, it's a uh, No.
0: Crazy. No, it's a cutoff that that's warranted because I feel like you can't talk about the G League night and not talk about Scoot. Um and I I dove deeper in the last two days and I've gotten much better exposure to him now, along with some of these other guys since some of my preseason pods that I was doing. And Matt, I mean it's not I, I don't even think I mean, sure, Michael Jordan and, and LeBron is, is, is hyperbole, <laughs> but in terms of calling him like the best guard, I think that I, I've been trying my hand at scouting, whether I've been trying individual work myself or whether I've been working for a private firm or working with a collective. I've been trying my hand at this for about 11 years. And in that span, I can't think of a better point guard prospect that, that I've tried to evaluate even this early on than than scoot henderson some of the things he does on the court his understanding his pace how he plays the game that you can't you cannot understate that or you, you can't overstate that enough how he plays the game i love it he's he's a three level scoring guard even when he's not taking a bunch of threes and it's like well maybe that's the one area in his game that, that he can work on over the next two years to really solidify himself by that number one conversation and you see him just casually spotting up for threes and just nailing them with ease and you're like okay he doesn't even have to work on that either so (laughs) I, i don't know what else to say about him but but it is warranted to talk about him a little bit because then you try and evaluate jane hardy for this draft class and it makes it so incredibly difficult to give hardy a fair shake because scoot is doing all of these crazy astronomical things at 17 years old in the G League. And I know that you, I know that you and Sam have talked about that on, on the Game Theory pod as well. But when, when we're looking at Jane Hardy, I'm curious where you had him preseason. I, I had him as the fourth guy on my board before the whole Jane Ivey explosion. And even right now at this current moment in time going off of my 1.0 big board, I didn't slide him down too far. I slid him down to six. But I'm curious where you had him initially preseason and kind of where you're at right now. Four or five.
1: <clears throat> Excuse me. I think four or five. I think I had Jalen Duran a little bit higher. I did not have Ivy as high. I got Pat Baldwin ahead of him, but but no no deeper than five. And I currently have him ninth, and I feel like that's still being a little generous to to what he showed. And I get it that like Scoot is an extraterrestrial in a, in a good way, just like this crazy prospect that combines power and and skill and and strength and uh, to overuse the word nuance, like coming off pick and rolls, it's a different look every time. It's stop and go. He hits the jet, whatever. But he looks so far beyond of where Jaden Hardy is. And they they just had the the G League showcase out in Las Vegas. And they they played on TV in Pride Time against the Austin Spurs and, and Josh Primo, who's near and dear to my heart. I thoroughly outplayed him. Like, it, it wasn't close. And, and there were enough scouts there that kind of sent texts and said, not like this is your king, but more so like this is a top <laughs> five guy. And it, it, we, we talk about sample size a lot, and I don't think it's necessarily fair. But, but here's the actual numbers. He's shooting 35% from the field. He's shooting yeah. 27% from three. So if you're a scorer, and I'm drafting a scorer, that to me with those numbers, in order to get said points, you're going to have to be a volume guy. If I'm drafting somebody four or five, I don't know if I want Jaden Hardy to be my volume-ish type scorer. There there's also been some dialogue, I guess is a good way to put it, saying that, well, what about Jalen Green? Like Jalen Jalen Green shot 45% of the field. He was 50% his first half of games. He had three straight 20 plus point game performances in games two, three, and four. And I thought that Jalen Green, the difference with his D League Ignite experiences. He was kind of taking the shortcomings, and, and the first game he was bad. He he was just sped okay. up a million miles per hour. Yeah, and and I'm watching, and I'm like, all right, just just patience. Just watch a little bit. He played 15 games. Jaden Hardy's played 12. Uh, Jalen Green has taken his lumps in the NBA, as it, all rookies will. Everyone's going to hit a yeah. wall at some point. I'm just more concerned that that Hardy's wall is a little bit sooner. I mean, He's below average on on most synergy categories. I think he looks pretty lost on drives. He forces at these small windows, not only for a shot, but for passes. Doesn't really look for cutters. His handle's loose. I do like a shot. I, mean, I know the numbers will say, like, you're crazy for saying that. He has really good range. has really good touch. He's making it difficult for himself and with kind of just like, all right, just reverse the ball, cut through, get a different look. You don't have to come off this double yeah. and, and shoot it every single time. And the next step for him is you're playing this level of competition of guys in the G League who are fringe NBA players or, or, or rookies or, or really good. And, and Scoot Henderson roasted Jonathan Kaminga and, and Moses Moody that game and played the Santa Cruz Warriors or, or whatever the name they are. So I, you have to give Jaden Hardy a little bit a little bit <clears throat> of the benefit of the doubt that saying if he was at Oregon or, or he was at Kentucky or he was at Memphis, would his numbers be – Better. Would his shooting scoring stuff be better? Yes. Have to see more if he's going to be in the top five conversation.
0: So here's what I wrote specifically about Jaden Hardy. And you outlined some of the shooting splits, the concerns. I think the one, if, if we're going to put it into a numbers context, I think even just looking at the box score and his shot attempts per game from the field overall, he's taking 17 shots per game and he's only making six of them. So I think that enough, you don't even have to put it in a percentage. If you're telling me that you're bringing a guy who you know is going to take 17 shots per game within your offense, and he's only going to make six of them, that immediately is going to turn off so many people. And coaches are not going to want to feed him the ball and have it work out of volume. You just give him those two numbers right there. But I, I, I agree with you. I, I like the shot. I, I don't think I've ever not liked the shot. Um, I I think those percentages will definitely keep coming around. I know he's definitely had a better December than in November, and now that we're out of like the the Showcase Cup slate and they're playing some of these different exhibition games in in January and February, we'll see if any of that comes along. He is shooting 88% from the free throw line, so that's also an indicator of he has the touch. Is it just more about the types of shots he's taking or the types of shots he's able to take within the offense? My biggest concern... Matt, I will. I will go and I'll watch some of these games and against like Oklahoma City Blue, for example, where at the, at the end of that game he absolutely took over from a shot making perspective. He looked like the type of guy that you would not want to take with like a top five, top six pick. It wasn't just that he was taking, making every three that he looked at. And when when he was able to get himself free around the basket, he was showing some floater game. He'll have these tough finishes where he's actually finishing through contact. He's built well for a guard. I cannot get beyond his lack of a handle it's it's so apparent it is really ugly at times it seems every time he tries to go to like a combination move to shake a defender he loses the ball clumsily and he turns it over and that along with his elite his lack of elite explosiveness off a first step that that doesn't allow him to cleanly get past defenders from the top either he's not, he's just not the cleanest dribbler of the basketball. Like he'll have some of these where he tries to get by somebody and he's whipping out this like high waisted dribble on his right. And it's like, dude, if you're doing that in the NBA, somebody smart is just going to rip that ball away from you within a half second. And like, they're going to be racing down the other end of the court and your coach is going to look at you and you're going to look at your coach and, He's just going to be really pissed off and, and you're just all you're going to have to do is like hang your head. Like that's, that's the type of stuff that, that awaits you if you're trying to whip something out like that in the NBA. And that's really the part of his game that concerns me the most, and I think that leads him into the most trouble. I've, have you kind of seen and, and heard the same things from other scouts?
1: Similar. I, I believe, I don't, I don't have his, his full box cumulative stats of here, but I think it's negative assist to turnover too, which is a little yeah. concerning. And, and if that's the case, then then where do you slot him as a place on the floor? I'm never one person to say like, you're a one, you're a two, you're three, whatever. If he's not the primary ball handler, which he has been getting a lot of reps. And yes. it, uh, look, it's, I, I don't want to give him a, a completely get out of jail free card. Playing at Coronado High School in Nevada and playing on the EYBL for Las Vegas Elite, it's it's just different when you're playing against a 29-year-old man who's trying to get a 10-day. And know that, as, as Jalen Green said in the article last year, or, or Brian Shaw did in an interview, you have this em- enormous target on your back. Because people are coming after you every single game possession because they know scouts are watching. Because you have 30 NBA teams who are watching saying, if we get a pick or we can move up, we, we have to watch him. We have to watch Marshawn Beauchamp. We have to see where Dyson Daniels is at. So the eyes are, are biggest on this G League Ignite team. But I've always seen him off the ball. But if you're an off-the-ball guy at 6'4 at or so, you turn it over a lot. The shooting percentages aren't there. I don't really love your reads. That That's what kind of like scares me the most. Which, which is tough because it's like shoot, dribble, pass. What are you scared of? Yes, like I I, I, yes, am. All I, of I, I don't know. I don't know what you do with that.
0: So my last question about Hardy, and not not to turn this into a a, a first take, you know hot take type of segment here, but you, you gotta wonder all of all of the buzz that Scoot has now generated. You're coming into the the elite showcase in in Vegas, every single. Every single scout from every team that's there is is just talking about, oh, look at this kid, Scoot Henderson. Like, how good is he? Like, they're already talking about the 2023 draft. They're kind of leaving you and some of your teammates in the dust. Like, from a pressure perspective, that has to mount so much on his shoulders, whether he would ever admit it or not. We know he wouldn't admit it. But that that just has to play into his game from a psychological perspective. And maybe he is trying to do a little bit too much off the dribble maybe he is trying to experiment and do some things that he might not be fully comfortable with doing at this level but it's like well scoot's doing it so if, if i can't do it if i can't show this then where am i gonna fall like i, I don't know yeah, if you have any other comment on that but like that has to be part of it. It,
1: it it's a little bit josh primo six months younger he didn't seem phased yeah him uh, too. like that like, like that josh primo releases it and For people who who haven't followed the game theory, I I was very, very high on Josh. I wasn't 12 high. Like, I don't want to be that guy, but I had
0: him. I wasn't either, but, like, Josh was one of those guys. You just watch him, like, at the very early on in Alabama, and you look at him, and you're, like, 6'5", 6'6", true combo guard with that size. Like, how many combo guards do we give that label to? How many of them actually have his size, his measurables, and his shooting ability? Like, th- that, with, that type with, of with, player is growing Right, with,
1: with, with a lot of NBA teams not knowing that he can play on the ball and makes really good reads on a pick and roll, and he yeah, has turnovers are too high, but, like, whatever. He put on a show in front of 30 NBA guys. What I'm drawn back to is I remember a game, a high school game last season. It was on ESPN or ESPN. Actually, it was ESPN 2, and it was Imani Bates in Ypsi Prep against Chet Holmgren and Minnehaha Academy. And all the stories about Amani. yes, of, of course, Chet was a, a top two to three kid. Like, I, I'm not saying Chet Holmgren came out of like, some cave somewhere. <laughs> it's like, oh, where's this seven-foot unicorn been? forever? I, I love Chet. I've, I've had him as a top three pick, like, forever. Whatever. My point was, that game, they went blow for blow. Chet outplayed him, period. Like, if you're watching the game, you know Chet outplayed him. And there was a play where Chet's at half court, he puts it behind his back. He beats a guy, beats Imani, and then dunks at the rim. The FC Prep calls timeout. And I don't know exactly what Chet said, but he's screaming at the camera. He's screaming after the bench, basically being like, I'm him. I'm him. This Like, this is what I do. So there's two paths that you can take. You can do that and be like, all right, I know you're all here to see Imani. I know he's the best prospect since Kevin Durant or whatever. But, like, I'm the guy. I'm that dude. There's an opportunity for Jaden Hardy to do that. It didn't happen. And, and I even think that, like, Scoot Henderson was good that game he wasn't great you see it you're like holy crap the kid's 17 but i I take it more as an opportunity where it's pressure is a privilege as people would say like you have a chance to to kind of announce all all the haterade all all the the negativity and here's an actual showcase to do it throw your numbers out the window and he was just whatever i i thought it was a a missed opportunity for him to kind of write his track back into like that top eight conversation
0: I will be I will be seeing him at the end of January when the G League Ignite team comes through to the Philly area. I know Corey's going to see him the week prior when the G League Ignite team is facing off against Long Island. And we're probably going to do a podcast after that. And I promise when I'm at the arena... Or when we're doing that podcast, I'm going to try so hard to not just make it 45 minutes or 100 tweets about Scoot Henderson. I, I promise everybody <laughs> yeah. I'm going to try. Good luck.
1: Good luck. You know what sells, man. You do. Like the internet's a weird thing where sometimes you put out a tweet. You're like, I don't know. Do I get 10 likes? Do I get five retweets? I put out just like some dumb, dumb tweet again about Scoot, about how. He didn't need the benefit of time. He was 17. Here's his points. It, it took off. I mean, he's right. he's a an attraction. I think a lot of casual fans have started to like really like him too, and it's it's amazing. It's incredible what he did. But luckily, you guys will have eyes on him and a number of prospects, and not just uh, independent of our.
0: I can't wait. I can't. I cannot. I cannot figure out. I cannot figure out Dyson Daniels offensively for the life of me. So I'm really intrigued to see him up close. I know, I know, I've seen everything about the defense. I've, I've evaluated the defense. The defense is awesome. I think Sam answered a question on his mailbag where he posed, I think Alex from our team actually posed the question. It's like, is Dyson Daniels the best guard defender in the draft? The answer to that question is probably yes. I just don't know what he does in the court at, at a trustworthy level uh, offensively other than pass the ball, but that, that that's a different topic, I suppose, for a different day. We could probably <laughs> yeah. sit here and talk that's, like that's minutes. Dive. But Peyton Watson out of UCLA, good God, An, another prospect who has just seen the free fall come in on his stock, average, average stock price before the season, 9.8. And that, that's kind of where I had him. I believe I had him about nine-ish on my board, somewhere in that nine to ten range. Now you see that cost come in at about twenty-four point two is the average price that, that Corey outlined across major outlets. So again, another similar to Caleb Houston. Another steep fall, but a steeper fall. Now we're talking like 14 or 15 spots. And it's gotten to the point, I mean, preseason, he was a name that was trending for me in the top 10 as one guy who could kind of like break into that top five of the class. But now you look, it's like, is he even going to go in the first round? How much first round stock does Payne Watson even have at all? So I'm kind of curious, Matt where where you are on his game it's really funny i joke with i joke with tyler and albert on our team all the time they were actually out in vegas they saw they saw him in person at the bellarmine game and it's like you probably saw the the one awesome Peyton watson game potentially yeah. all yeah. all college year but it's like other than that what is what has he really done on the court to get you excited so i'll give you the floor matt the floor is yours where are your thoughts right now on Peyton Watson? Um,
1: uh, yeah i'm laughing because uh it's like all these we start and it's been sort of like negative and and these guys are all really good prospects they're all nba they, players yes, so I, I don't want this yes. to think that uh i i don't know there i don't think there's too too much more to say i mean he's playing 14 minutes a night it's been closer to 10 minutes a night lately he was this late bloomer in high school so he was this guard growing up and hit a growth spurt and i'm a sucker for those stories that all of a sudden they're wing and have the guard skills and and now all of a sudden it, it works I love what UCLA has done and built. I, I was concerned he wouldn't get a lot of burn early with them returning their entire Final Four team, plus Rutgers transfer Miles Johnson. I knew he would be a long for minutes no matter what. So he's never really gotten going. I mean, you alluded to that Bellarmine game where he had 19 points in 20 minutes. Yeah, you know, I chopped up some clips and said, All right, there, there's something here for sure. This could be a one-done yeah. guy. That was on Monday, November 22nd. That was also the last time he scored a field goal in a game. Like, think about that. It's it's end of December here. We're, we're trudging onto the new year. He scored a field in a month. So I, I give him an incomplete grade. I, I hope right now he comes back to school and is actually like the man in a year. I, I like his size. I like his tools. He's going to be a stud. If he did declare he is a candidate, I would do the pre-draft or the domestic draft and stash move in the late 20s. Get him in my G League affiliate. Get him a, a ton of reps if I trust my developmental coaches and maybe in two years say man we stole one there late in the 20s if he comes back to school next year maybe the top seven eight guy I don't know how a team that high could take a a chance a risk with just like the lack of playing time yes but scoring and limited action that you're able to assess right now in in the college space
0: so I keep giving Corey all of this like big brain credit on my podcast. Like, damn it. I got to stop doing that. Like I'm the host of the podcast. I'm supposed to be the smartest person here, but he, he said something we we recorded, we recorded an episode of his podcast, the, the draft act, And we talked about Peyton Watson and I kind of put it out there that, I don't see the situation in UCLA getting any better this year. Like McCronin wants to win. He's he's one of my favorite coaches in all of college basketball, and he's got plenty of vets in front of Peyton Watson to, to kind of feed and, and take care of. And those guys are probably much better off at winning the games that this UCLA program is expected to win than trying to draw up things for, for Peyton Watson to get involved in the offense to make him feel more comfortable. So it just seems like his confidence on the court, you watch especially like from these last four games, like it's just gone. His confidence just seems gone on the offensive end, and he's not even as active on the defensive end at this point either. Um, I don't think this results in him coming back to UCLA. I can't, for the life of me, see him transferring to another school. But Corey brought up a point that I thought was really fascinating. What if what if he wouldn't enter his name into the draft, and he would actually go to the G League Ignite next year? What what if something like that? What if an experiment like that worked out and he was able to boost his draft stock up all the way back to to where it was preseason? Do you think there's any chance that that something like that could happen for him? Because I thought that was a really fascinating point to make.
1: Sure, I don't see why not. I mean, the G League Ignite had significant interest in him before UCLA. Like there was a chance that he was going to go there initially, as opposed yep. to going to college. So could you build? I don't say a super team, but a team with him. If Imani Bates says, yeah, college isn't for me, and that's kind of like a one-two punch with Scoot Henderson coming back, which is weird to say a, a guy is coming back at 17 years old to a, a pro team, but we're in a weird space in the world right now. Uh, there, there's a chance. There, there is. I mean, maybe he needs more, more pro reps. He, he's going to get plenty of them at UCLA. I, I still believe in the developmental stuff that they have there and just the, the college, I guess, experience too. So I don't want to write him off. I I hope he goes back. I I don't have any inside information on on what he would do, but does have different avenues to pursue. Yeah. I hope it's not the full NBA thing. I hope what if he stays, if he goes, wherever it is, he's a year away from the draft because he he does need works and work and what's what's forgotten and uh, I, I find myself having a hard time with this too. Is that he his season was messed up his high school season. I don't think they played in California until like February or March. Basically like. When college season was over, his was beginning again. And we're becoming a, a different type of player, and you need so many reps, and those reps are kind of snatched away from you. Now you're not getting game reps, rightfully so, at UCLA. You're, you're just playing from behind. So it's, it's time for him. Uh, I hope it's just not a, a rush process here. He's, he's very, very good. He's going to be in the NBA just a matter of one.
0: I think he's good too, and we, we we talk about some of the negativity on this podcast. I don't want it to be all negative either, because I think that I've still remained and will remain maybe not as high as I once was on some of these guys preseason that we've talked about. But I think I'm going to remain in on them as, as prospects. And the thing about the thing about Watson, I heard this little nugget on on one of the game uh, one of the game when I was watching. One of the announcers was talking about how Watson was being groomed a little bit in early practices as kind of this pick and roll type of initiator within the offense like they wanted him to handle more responsibilities like this jumbo type point guard i never saw him coming in as somebody who would have responsibilities like that or be able to excel with responsibilities like that and i thought if anything if he's doing anything off the dribble it would be like a one-two dribble type of pull-up shot that he creates for himself and other than that he's attacking a closeout he's finding ways to get to the basket off the ball. He's running out in transition and throwing down his thunderous dunks that are all over YouTube highlights that, that you can find from his high school days. And then obviously his defensive activity being one of the more underrated shot blockers that that I thought coming in preseason in this draft class, his, his weak side help ability I thought was tremendous with some of the high school stuff I saw. But that creation role, do, do you think that him being – possibly overly encouraged to tap into some of that when he he's gotten the UCLA, maybe that's stripped away a little bit of confidence for him. Like, oh, if I can't do this, like now where am I going to be at in the NBA? You think maybe they tried to feed him a little too much even behind closed doors?
1: Maybe. And I, I don't want to totally speculate, but he did sure. when he was, at, when he was at Long Beach Poly High School, he did a lot of that initiation. Uh, I, I know we, we all can get away I mean, we as a, a basketball kind of prospect e type world, you can get away with doing more stuff at the high school level where you build bad habits. But at the same time, you can form good ones too. Whereas yeah. I had the same conversation with Sam on the, the Game Theory Pod about Chet Holmgren. He said, well, I don't, I don't really know if he can create. I don't know if he can dribble that much. I said, no, he can. I mean, I, I saw it through the grassroots circuit. And he wasn't a point guard, but he can be a second-side guy where he can go off the dribble for two or three. And then pull up, or or find a cutter, or go behind the back and and spin. He Chet and, and Peyton, I think, have simplified their games down so much to fit what's asked of them that I am a believer that Peyton Watson can be a, a little bit of a guy that that comes off screens. In that, don't again, don't hold me to it, but Evan Mobley did the same thing at USC, and people like I don't know, that's kind of like crazy. I think they're just feeding into it because he went there, whatever. He's doing some stuff with that with the Cavs, so there there's more to what we're seeing with Peyton Watson. There's more to what we're seeing with with AJ Griffin. Some of these other guys, like Jaden Hardy, he's got the shots. He's got the attempts. Can Kill Houston's getting the playing time. Some of the guys just have to dig and and wait and and be patient. And we're we're so just so quick to have takes and opinions on anything. And and this is just like reading the another chapter of the book. Like maybe this is like a slower one, but you turn a few more pages and and Peyton Watson's going to be a guy that it, it won't surprise me if and when he shoots up. I also am just hesitant on, on getting too high on him right now and saying there's so much there. This is the Josh Primo. This is the guy that should go 12 because there just hasn't, there hasn't been the flashes. I mean, he scored, has scored a field goal in a month. That's all.
0: It's, speaking of the Josh Primos of the draft class, Matt, the biggest reason why I wanted to click that follow button on the Twitter account is because you mentioned Josh Minot's name on on, on, your pod, on, on Sam's podcast, yeah. I was like all right this this is my kind of dude like i am I'm, I'm all in I, I I like josh too, but and you keep mentioning Chad holberg i god I love chad I, I i freaking love Chad if i it, maybe I gotta have you on to to do another podcast where we talk about Chet. because i I still love yeah him. Well, we just,
1: can do that i I always kind of default back to him just because his his arc i've I've been able to follow, but yeah. there there there's also kind of like these translatable stories where you got to take your time. Guy does uh, develop. Guy does have to seize the moment. And, and he's been a player that that has done that. That That's all.
0: Maybe, maybe a little teaser for my audience. I just, I, I refuse to put him lower than two on, on any big board. I just, I'm, I just I'm, do I'm, that
1: I'm the same. I'm the same. <laughs> I know his so, limitations, but I'm the same.
0: So, last but not least, we'll 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 run through Mr. Mr. Patrick Baldwin pretty quickly because if if you have listened to my podcast before, you know that I, I made my impassioned bolden stance on Patrick Baldwin with with one of the Monday podcasts I did with with Tyler Rucker. Look, I know what everyone said about him. I know that he hasn't performed in the games that arguably matter the most on his schedule. I get it, but. His situation, the context around his situation, I I can't think I can't think of a prospect who's had this lofty of expectations and you would think that they're going to some awesome blue blood program, yet they go to play for their dad at, at I guess technically a mid major program, feels feels like a low major type of program, even though they're in the Verizon Conference. Um, and he's as talented as he is, he's he's playing on a bad basketball team. And he kind of just has to figure everything out as he goes. And he's being sort of looked upon to be the savior within the offense for the team. And that might not be who he ultimately is. I think the numbers exactly. in the film would actually say that up to this point. However, how many six foot nine, six foot 10 guys who can shoot jump shots off the dribble? Like, they're absolutely nothing from virtually anywhere on the court who can operate within an offense in terms of all the off ball, the movement type of stuff. I have full confidence in his game from that perspective. And then you talk about defensively, some of the things that he does defensively, protecting the rim as well. Like, I just see him as this unique, unique talent. I had him six, no, 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 I had him five on the 1.0 edition of my big board. And I'm at a point where some of these other guys that, that you know we, we may be talking about in the future, guys like Johnny Davis and Benedict Matherin, um, some of these guys might propel themselves ahead just because they're playing that well. But even if I'm moving Patrick Baldwin slightly down my board, I'm not moving him down because of the public criticisms to his game and kind of some of the performances and, and where he's been. And I think his situation is just so unique but I'm still a hundred percent all in on him as a basketball talent. Like if I get to the point where I slide him down a little bit, like 10 for me is the furthest that I'm going in terms of moving it down. I, I refuse to be all out on this guy. I'm still all in on the Patrick Baldwin train. Where, where are you at Matt? What are some of your thoughts to, to close out this podcast wall on Patrick Baldwin's situation as a whole and where you're at on his valuation?
1: Ooh, <clears throat> heavy. Uh, I it really liked him. Really liked him in the preseason. Really liked him in high school. Uh, I understand going to Milwaukee, playing for your dad. <clears throat> he he was much more of an alpha his his last high school season, where he had more of. I'm going to put the team in my back. I'm going to score for a quick post. I'm going to hit a, a step in three from the volleyball line. I, I I thought that Milwaukee wouldn't be great, but I also thought that he would have this. Ability where they stunk, but he'd have twenty six. He he'd miss some shots. I thought it'd be more like he shot thirty nine percent from the field, but had twenty seven points, had six turnovers because he really had to force and do everything.
0: Mm-hmm. Like that Rhode
1: Island game, he just kind of reversed the ball and checked out. And when when he talked to people around, he talked to scouts. That's what's turned him off the most. It, it's not the size, the shooting, and and how he's able to self create just a, a sliver of space. He needs to get off his jumper with a really high release. I like his balance. It's not that. It's that when they're losing, they're losing on the road at Florida, and here comes the press, he's okay just kind of like reversing the ball, cutting through, maybe won't like split his man in half and, and do a post and call forward and say, hey, I'm getting a touch. It's that lack of consistent fight is what worries me. The skill set, I, I, it's hard for me to get past 10-2. I, I totally agree with you there. But my visions of him as Mister Everything from Milwaukee are, are different. That's what's showing on the court.
0: I just I, I look at the situation and I can't I can't imagine some of and and some of these points that we brought up. You you and I have both said we're we're purely speculating in in some of these avenues. But I just I can't get myself around some of the mental gymnastics that are probably going on within this situation. It's just like. I, I'm one of those people that can very well sympathize and, and understand situations, and, and kind of keep that context and in firm perspective. I I can't get around what's probably been been going on for him, just personally, and with some of the things that he's hearing, and some of the things that are said about him, and, and where he's at right now in terms of the public eye. I I. I I kind of want to just throw this year out as a wash. And I know that as a scout, you technically can't do that because it's part of the sample that goes into the evaluation for these guys. You can't just solely go off of high school, but I hated the situation that Cole Anthony was in as well when he was at North Carolina. And that's not even as comparable of a situation because North Carolina is a blue blood program. Wisconsin, Milwaukee is not, but I, I, I took the positives that, I saw from the North Carolina situation, some of the things that he was able to do in games, various, various facets of his game. And I kind of took those and I also merged those with the context of the situation. And I let my evaluation ride. And I still remain very high on Cole Anthony. And I feel like I'm going to to do the same here as you and I uh, alluded to with kind of like our, our low point as to where we're going to rank him. Like, I know it's not technically the right thing to to operate and scout that way, but I just – I I, I, don't, there's, I don't have a good taste in my mouth <laughs> when I'm trying to just come back so much to everything that Baldwin's gone through this year. Like, I kind of just want to throw it out. And I, and I don't know if you're going to operate the same way. I don't know if you're just going to weigh it a little less. Like, I don't know where where you're at in terms of a tough situation to talk about like this.
1: I have to see what it looks like in conference play too. I know I sound yeah. like a broken record, but he's had these non-conference games, even at like head-to-head battle against Colorado – Jabari Walker, who I, who I think it's fine. I think he's a, probably an, an early second round guy. Jabari Walker outplayed him. Like it wasn't close. It was winning time. It was the last three, four minutes, and and he stood out as the guy that wanted the ball, that made steals, that made stops, forced patch Baldwin into bad shots. I, I like the the comparison you made for situationally Cole Anthony at at North Carolina. Cole Anthony also scored it a lot and, and a lot better than, <laughs> than Patrick Baldwin did with Patrick Baldwin. What I, what I can't remove myself from, what I can't quit like yes, Patrick sure. Baldwin is is him being six foot nine and being able to shoot and be able to stretch the floor. Those guys don't just come around every year. And uh, a, a guy that was the reports out of USA basketball, the summer were very good, very skilled. Don't know if he's ever going to be like the actual guy, guy needs time develop but man he takes the coaching uh he's a very fast learner he picks up concepts he just might not be the the cornerstone top five pick and that's okay uh but i i can't move him down all the way in the 20s because i i've I've seen it too much you have to weigh what's going on right now in milwaukee i'm sure it's a a a ton of pressure the microscope is much larger which sounds funky because you're at a mid-major but every catch, someone's expecting you to to score, to do something, and maybe that's just too much for where he's at at his age, and, and people process it differently with with those type of pressures. I, I really like him, though. It's um, I, I hope that he kind of figures it out because he's he's what you look for for the archetype of a of a wing that does so much. And I I know that the percentages aren't great either. It's because he has forced. I actually wish he would force it more. I, I wish that he would take. 25 shots a game, and when they double-team, you finally hit the roll, man, or, or somebody cross-court. Well,
0: so so one thing I kind of noticed too, though, Matt, is that his team sort of like ices him out. At, oh, at, at yeah. That's really weird. It's a
1: wild watch sometimes when the guards like <laughs> look at him, look off, reverse. It's like, no, get him the ball every single play. Or if you want to do the decoy, if you want to do the Steph Curry uh, back in the day when, at Davidson when he was double-teamed or triple-teamed, he just like stands off in the corner and you want to play five on four, great do that too, but they don't even take advantage of him as a decoy, which is funky.
0: Like I distinctly remember a few possessions during the Colorado game where like one of of his teammates would would get get inside the arc and they kind of like come to a little jump stop and they'd have options if they established the pivot foot to kind of turn. It's like Pat Baldwin's like waving his hand, like right there on the wing, like, Hey, I'm wide open. And it's like, they just want to go elsewhere with the ball and i truly wonder <laughs> how much of that dynamic like that right that sucks too because you talk about a lack of assertiveness that he's shown at different times but it's like it's the other side of the coin too if his teammates don't want to get him the damn ball it's like what more can the guy do if he's actually getting himself open for a good shot and he's just not getting the ball what more can he do so i don't know that factors into for me no you're Thanks. you're
1: uh you're absolutely right it's um
0: it's a wild ride. It's, it, 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 <laughs> it is
1: because it's it's hard to imagine, too, because we, we talked about A.J. Griffin early in the show. So it's hard to say, well, what if Patrick Baldwin Jr. was there? I don't know. Maybe he could be awesome. Maybe like we talk about who's number one, him or Paolo. Like, well, like, which game is it with, with R.J. Barrett and, and Zion and Kim Reddish? Maybe it's those situations. Or maybe it is the A.J. Griffin where he doesn't have his feet under him yet, lacks confidence a little bit, doesn't always turn it on. He's playing 15 minutes a night. It's hard to play those games all the time but you you do wonder you do wonder what if if he had ended up there and and not in Milwaukee
0: well Matt thank you so much for coming on this episode of the podcast this was a lot of fun for me I'm so glad that you and I were able to connect and, and do something like this hopefully we can definitely do it again during at some point during the 2022 draft cycle if you can just Give my audience a reminder. I'm sure that that a lot of my listeners already know who you are. They're already following you. But if for whatever reason they don't listen to the Game Theory pod, can you just remind my audience where they can find you on social media, how they can find some of the things you're doing?
1: Absolutely. So social media, I'm on Twitter, Matt underscore Penny. That's really my only social media account where I go full in as as a draft nerd and and not a (laughs) functional member of society. And we, we talk about how good Patrick Baldwin Jr. is or not. Also, I'm a, <laughs> a regular guest on the Game Theory podcast with Sam Vecini on The Athletic. Uh, we do, that train doesn't stop either. I've had people say, like, how do you come up with something new to talk about every single week on Prospects? I don't know, but we keep doing it. We'll, we record those once a week anyway. We just kind of transition that into video. So if you subscribe to the YouTube channel, Game Theory podcast with Sam Vecini, that always helps too.
0: There's so many prospects to talk about every single week. You can you can batch them out really well. It's just how much do your listeners want to hear you talk about the fiftieth <laughs> yeah. guy on your board or not? But right.
1: But and, and that's what, what people don't necessarily understand either is is the uh, the higher listener ones are the ones who are talking about the top five guys. When you're doing deep dives into like second round picks and mid-major darlings, there, there's a lot of people like, Yeah, I'll check back in in a week or two.
0: Well, if, if if anyone's a frequent listener to this podcast, you know that I spent about three podcast hours going through tiers four through seven on my big board. So you know what we we're draft deeper for a reason, Dan. The, the, we the dive takeaway
1: deeper. is we the takeaway is we all have problems. We all have deep issues <laughs> that uh, the draft should solve, but just makes it worse absolutely
0: well thank you so much again everyone out there listening to this episode of the podcast if you haven't subscribed already make sure you are wherever you get your podcast apple Podcasts, spotify youtube make sure you're following me on twitter at draft deeper make sure you're following no ceilings on twitter at no ceilings nba this is a light week of content for me i'm kind of enjoying the holidays a little bit and also using this time as i mentioned earlier to dive deeper into some of the film on some guys that i haven't caught up with or haven't really seen at all yet this year up to this point. So while I'm doing that, you can expect a two part Monday morning dunk over on no ceilings, Monday, January 3rd. I'm going to expound on some of my thoughts on the G league night. Um, John Montero from the overtime elite, as well as diving a little into some international guys a little bit, who I definitely need to catch up and do a little bit of footwork on. So make sure you're definitely tuned in for that, as well as all of the content that we're pumping out, over on the no ceiling Substack, there there aren't many written platforms out there who are publishing as much content daily on the nba draft as we are we're sickos we pride ourselves in being sickos we don't care we love doing it we we love giving the audience new content to dive into each and every single morning so thank you all again for showing support to the podcast hope you all have a wonderful rest of your week stay safe happy new year